It's the Friendly Fire Show, episode 148, for the end of November 2019. Uh, I am Steve Wright from Survivor, and with me... Ben Salter from Survivor. Ah, or Survivor.com, or however you want to rock with it, because who knows. Um, hi, Ben. How are you? Well, I'm good. I didn't just come back from London, so I'm relaxed. Uh, it's, yeah, it's I haven't been, been like... on the whirlwind world tour that you've been on. It's been a week and a half. I'm good. Um... I was literally in London for 26 hours and it took 30 something to fly each way. So that was fun. Um, mm. But as hopefully people noticed, uh, we had a chat with Phil Spencer, head of Xbox in London, and that's why I flew there and it was definitely worth it. Um, but we'll save that for later. I want to talk about our last big review of the year, really. And it was yours. It was your baby, Ben. Or, Ben, it was your baby Yoda. Except there is no Yoda in this game. That's uh, you've crossed your wires there. Different was, Disney product. That was too good to to not to do. Like I had to do it. Cool. Um, it's, it's topical. We're talking you know, about. I've not actually seen that yet. I've not seen uh, the Mandalorian, so I don't. Oh really? Joke. Oh man. No, okay. I've, well, that's like one yeah. thing off the the podcast run sheet. Probably uh, crossed off. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. I will watch it. I just I haven't got there yet. Well, let's talk then about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which which was yours. So uh, I'll, I'll leave you to kick well, it off. This I have played. I played a lot. Um, so basically, what did I say again? It's been so long ago since I reviewed this. I believe I said it's basically a mixture of Uncharted for its set pieces, Dark Souls for its combat, and Metroids for its exploration. So all of that in a Star Wars skin, and that's basically the easiest way to look at Fallen Order. Yeah. Um, a lot of people get put off by the Dark Souls comment. It's more like a light version of Dark Souls. It's nowhere near as hardcore, but it's built on the same type of you need to learn how enemies move. Combat's more like a puzzle than straight up combat. You can't just Assassin's Creed it and smash, you know, attack and wait for your enemies to wait their turn patiently around you. They'll attack and they'll all attack at once, but they do attack on a pattern basis. So it's all about learning that. Now, knowing when to counter, knowing when to block, knowing when to make your move. Um, but unlike Dark Souls, this did not frustrate the hell out of me. I actually enjoyed it. And uh, I think each time you die, and if you don't play on easy, you play in any other mode, you will die a lot, but you will learn what you did wrong and how to do better. And I think that kept me playing. So I don't know about you, how you felt about the combat. That's probably the main thing people are talking about. I think you're right. Um, I kind of approached it in the Witcher 3 mentality of I played the Witcher 3 for like i don't know 60 70 hours probably more than that and i played it on easy combat difficulty because i just wanted to immerse myself in it and i think um i played probably the first two or three hours on the second difficulty level which that's was the jedi so that's what's recommended night yeah, yeah. and like it, i was doing all right but there was a couple times where i was just like bashing my head against a wall and i'm not a dark souls guys either so i was kind of just like getting a little bit pissy and I found that if I, you know, like put it down to maybe the easiest setting for a little while to get by, it worked well. And then I kind of just left it on the easiest setting and was quite happy continuing on from there. And for the most part, the game wasn't overly easy. Sometimes you kind of just like sail through. Um, but that kind of made it a, a Jedi lightsaber fantasy for me. And I was okay with that. Like you sometimes feel a bit overpowered, but as a Jedi 
you almost should feel overpowered sometimes. So I, I get people playing it on harder difficulties. I get people playing on an easy. Um, if you play it and you're not like liking the combat, just slap it to easy. It's still not like a cakewalk, but it's still very enjoyable. And since I got it back from London, started and finished it. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I'm going to say. That's all I did occasionally to get through one quick um, that I just could not be bothered doing. Only one guy in particular, but he's quite late, so I won't spoil it. <laughs> uh, the rest I played on Jedi Knight, and I, th- I think that is how you should play it ultimately, because um, most Star Wars games, like The Force Unleashed, you are this super powerful kind of apprentice who is just destroys pretty much everything. Um, and this, you're a guy who was cut off from the Force. You can't remember your training. You're not meant to be that all powerful Jedi. So I think they kind of made it work story wise as well. Why you're having trouble against like this three, you know, trooper team. Um, which is something other Star Wars games haven't been able to do, at least while you're a Jedi, because it didn't make sense otherwise. Why did you have this challenge? So I think they got a good mix there. Um, but why I really liked it was kind of the world and the exploration. So it reminded me a lot of Control. Yeah. Um, in that you have to figure out where to go yourself. And it's very Metroid. Probably Metroid Prime is what it goes back to for me. The map is like exactly the same as what they did then. Um, and it isn't easy. So it's not really an open world, but it is. it does have different paths you can take. Um, and you really need to kind of pay attention yourself to figure it out. So it's it's yet another game where there isn't a big waypoint, and I really like that. So yeah, it's probably my favorite part of this game. Oh, big time! It's so much fun to explore and find the little things that BD One can scan and get the little snippets of lore. So this is between uh, six and seven. Is that right? Yeah, yeah it's between three and four. Three oh, sorry. Four. Yeah, I always get the stupid. Six and seven chronologically in yeah. real time release date, but yeah. So the uh, the empires just no. See, I'm my Star Wars is all confused right now. There's too many things happening at different times. So this is is five years after Episode Three, after Order sixty six, when the Jedi were purged. Uh, yes, so there's pretty much none left. So that's why he's managed to survive because he's cut himself off. It is about fifteen something, fourteen years before A New Hope. In that period, so the Empire is a thing. And it seems like, and like not getting rid of any, like not spoiling it, like it seems like this could be, because there's such a long period of time between when this finishes and when the movie kicks back in. Like, Mm. if this does well enough, Respawn could just take this and make it like a a multi-game franchise. You could have a sequel easily. And Um, I'm fine with that. And so many games put their, or at least since the early 2000s, put their story in this period because there's a 20-year gap almost with nothing told. So you can kind of make up whatever you want and put it in there. So uh, it works pretty well. It's a big galaxy, apparently, although everything is linked to the Skywalker family. If you ignore that, it should be a big galaxy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't mind the story. It's it's very B-side. Like, it's it wouldn't make, um, you know, anything major Disney's doing now. But I think it's interesting. I Like, you mentioned BD1 before. I think his relationship with Cal is pretty cool. It's kind of like having a little dog at times. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very different to what you get in the movies. It's not super serious. But well, I, I I really enjoy all the characters. So there's um Deborah Wilson is Seer C E R E Seer Seer Seer. Um, yeah, she is connected to the Force in some way. Uh, she is, she was on Mad TV, and like so I can recognize her face and voice instantly. She was also um one of the Resistance fighters in the Wolfenstein series. Just picture yeah. her with a giant fro instead of um some 
close cropped hair. Um, Grease is the pilot of the Mantis, which is the kind of millennial Falcon ripoff that you uh, ride around in all game, and he's quite enjoyable. Um, and it's it's a cool. It, it does a really good job of hiding loading screens. So if you need to go to a different kind of area on a planet. You'll kind of go through this narrow opening and you'll watch uh, Cal kind of squeeze through little bits and pieces. And like, you you know, by that, by a certain point, like that's when it's loading new bits of map. Yeah. Um, but even like traveling planet to planet, you're on this little ship called the Mantis and it will just kind of put things in hyperspace around you. And the characters on the Mantis will have these little kind of interactions, which really are just time fillers, but they're also kind of filling in, you know, bits of character and you know helping you bond a little bit as as a crew and i think that all worked really really well like i ended up really caring about these characters and like they're they're kind of carbon copies of like oh like that's that's the wookie equivalent and that's you know like that's the han solo kind of guy and and you're supposed to be the luke character but it fits really well and it's star wars so you're kind of trying to like live the star wars fantasy and i think it it kind of hits all the right notes as it goes through it yeah, and it is very Tomb Raider as well. It's probably the other one we didn't mention. Um, yeah. Because first of all, you raid several tombs uh, and you also <laughs> spend a lot of time climbing. So if you thought Lara did a lot of climbing and vine swinging and all that, uh, Cal does just as much. So I guess that's kind of Jedi-y. I think it, it works pretty well. We've kind of decided that that type of thing works well for that action-adventure game to break up combat. Um, Uncharted and Tomb Raider do it very well, so there's nothing better to copy from that point of view. Um, and I think the balance is pretty good. I think they had that, um, the exploration and the backtracking, if you want to do that, there's heaps you can go back and find, but you could ignore it if you don't care about the lore at all. Um, and then the, yeah, the combat as well. So I think it's rounded out pretty well. Um, and I think that's why most people are really enjoying it. And it's generally quite a favored game. Oh yeah. I, I take this over a battlefront in its current form anyway. Like I like the old battlefront yeah. games. I'm talking about the, the two new ones that uh, EA's put out in the last couple of years leaps and bounds better not tied to microtransactions or you know like dodgy multiplayer net code it's just like a tight single player experience where like I, I started playing it trying to beat jet lag coming home from london and got so sucked in like i've got a thousand gamer score in it because i was just like so wrapped and i wanted to finish the story and i wanted to explore all the places and fill in the the lore gaps and it's like it's not a, a super easy game to finish completely like for trophies or achievements but it's also not hard and i like that like it's engaging and you want to keep going at it and it doesn't feel like a slog which is the best thing i could say about like an achievement hunting style game too so the only thing i can say is it's really a shame that they gave us code just after all the game award stuff finished because i think we had i had distrounding for maybe like two weeks a week and a half at least by the time the nomination process went through and at least i could comment on what i thought about it and like the rest of survivor you know hadn't played it obviously but you know they kind of took me for my word so thanks guys um but when it came to jedi fallen order i think we had maybe an hour of preview time with it before the nomination period had closed and ea's marketing team said you know like try to try to base your nominations on that hour where like, you know, all the marketing for Fallen Order looked pretty garbage, if I was being honest. Like, especially the e, the E3 presentation where they needed to do the extended cut later on to make it feel better. You, you couldn't base a nomination on an hour worth of gameplay. Whereas, if I'd finished the game and had the chance to nominate it, I definitely would have. So, like, it's missed out entirely on no nominations, and I think it's just because of timing, which is a shame. 
That's a shame. It is a shame. But Pokemon have the same thing. So they were on the last day of nominations. Anything up until the 15th of November could be considered. That's when both came out. And we didn't have either. And I think a lot of people didn't have either. So, yeah, there's nothing we can really do about that. Um, it's probably not that much that the developers probably wanted it out there, but they weren't done. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a timing didn't really work out for it. Yeah. And I guess you are absolutely right in that I don't think uh, Pokemon did too well either in the nominations i'm just i'm trying to go through the list it now did not get any and i guess there's but the never poke. mind this is yeah, yeah. god well this is a i'm just thinking that respawn have had four games now and they're all four hits so uh and this year they had apex and fallen order so double hit yeah uh, we know they're doing very well they may not get an award for it but i think as a studio they're getting a lot of um yeah a lot of respect at the moment yeah well and like I kind of feel bad for Respawn because they, they um, they they go from game to game to game that are all really really good and really critically received. But um, you look at something like Titanfall or Titanfall Two, and like the marketing never quite a like you know, it wasn't the levels of hype that EA usually put around a game, and they've not done that well sales wise. Apex has broken that trend where Apex has done really really well regardless of whatever EA does around it. But I kind of feel like this got the same kind of treatment like it's it could have been marketed much better it's still doing really well in terms of sales and stuff it's it's i, I, think it's I can't okay. remember what I ea said today. a big christmas spike i think you'll have you know a new movie just come out it's a type of game people would buy as a christmas gift so i think it will it may not have great day one sales but i think it will do well over the next kind of two months which is probably what they want yeah it's just astounding that ea couldn't like hit this out of the park entirely like it's a decent star wars game and i feel like people aren't that excited for it because like, maybe they've been burnt by the last two Battlefront games. It just, it seems like things aren't connecting and it's, it's almost a no brainer. Possibly. To me. Well, it's unlike the Star Wars movies, it's been a long time since we've had a single player Star Wars game. So I think people are a bit fatigued over the, having a movie every single year. Um, but we haven't had a single player Star Wars game. I can't even remember the last one, like focus. So forget Battlefront 2. Um, it would have been Force Unleashed 2, wouldn't it? maybe yeah probably so that was like 2011 maybe 2012 a while ago so yeah long time do you have tickets for uh rise of skywalker i do actually uh (laughs) not midnight so i did see the force awakens at midnight but uh, i'm too old now i've decided so i'm going at 6 p.m a reasonable time nice and nice and uh respectful respectable yep uh, we're in uh, Albury for Matt's master's graduation, so I don't think we're seeing it that first weekend. And I'm kind of worried that there's going to be giant spoilers. So I'm going to try to stay off the internet. And it's close yeah, enough to Christmas yeah. where I feel like I can do that. You've got to see it first day, is my opinion. Uh, it's just it's t- the type of thing that will get spoiled immediately, so I'm not taking any chances. Well, in the same vein, I guess, The Mandalorian, if you haven't heard about Baby Yoda, you have been under a rock. Um, you haven't seen it yet. I've only seen one episode of three. Uh, not that into it, if I'm being honest. It kind of seems like a fan film. It's like, here's some cool things that we took out of Star Wars and chucked it in a TV show. And I'm not sure if mm. we're supposed to like yeah, the main to character or supposed to hate him. Or like, it's it's kind of sketchy. But apparently people who have watched all three episodes as of recording date, maybe there's four now, I don't know, say it gets better. But it's still pretty... Uh, divisive in terms of people really liking it or really hating it. So uh, I'd be keen okay. for people to tell us what they think in comments and stuff. Um, 
but that's pretty that's my like that's my exposure to Disney Plus and I'm not going to say why but um you've probably had more exposure to the Disney Plus experience than I have and I thought I'd pick your brain about it. Who works fine. Uh what would you like to know? Is it good? I I I honestly don't know. Like is it worth 20 is it 20 bucks? Is it worth 20 bucks? It's nine bucks. It's much cheaper. Netflix is oh. twenty bucks. <laughs> so we're talking four K subscriptions only. Netflix is twenty. Stan is fifteen, and Disney Plus is nine. So it's the cheapest four K option. It also has the least content. Um, so Unless yeah, I mean, you like High School Musical, the series. Well, which I don't think you lot. do. So I mean, if you <laughs> if you want like if it's right in your uh, wheelhouse and like you're a big star Wars fan. So they're all here 4k for the first time. If you're into all the Marvel movies, they're pretty much all there. If you're into the Simpsons, it's all there and it's going to be fixed with the proper aspect ratio next year. Yeah. So some of it's still okay. Most of it's not actually that broken. People are overreact about that. There's only a few episodes. Um, yeah. There's a little bit of Nat Geo stuff, but probably not enough. Um, and then there's all the Disney stuff. So if any of that really tickles your fancy, I think it's probably worth trying. Whether I keep it long term, I'm not sure. We'll see. Like, I kind of like the idea of having all the Marvel movies and stuff. But, like, if you wanted to watch, all, like, all of those movies, you would need three weeks of your life to get through phase one and two or whatever they're up to right now. And, like, I'd almost feel better buying the DVD and having it in case I wanted to at some point. Um, good news, though, like, today, uh, today being Wednesday, they've added resume, continue watching, and watch list functions, which... At this point in a streaming service, you kind of think that they should be there from day one. And I guess some of those things were from day one, but they went weird and they had to take them out of the service and then add them back in. I don't know. Um, I suppose what I noticed straight away when I lost that is there was there's barely any TV shows on Disney Plus, whereas Netflix is like all TV shows. So everything on Netflix is a new episode coming up right now. Whereas Disney Plus has, you know, Mandalorian, Simpsons, probably a couple others, but it's pretty much all like Marvel movies is its main thing. So you didn't need it as much. Yeah. And maybe that's why they didn't think it was as important. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep, if you're going to watch all 30 episodes of the all seasons of the Simpsons and you definitely shouldn't, but if you wanted to, you have to remember which episode you're up to. So that wasn't working. Uh, good on them for adding a basic feature. Where's the cutoff time? in the simpsons like where you should watch from like a season one to season uh purist will probably tell you like season eight um i think up to like 12 is still good not as good but it's still pretty good um there's quality in there and then 13 onwards is it gets pretty rough um yeah <laughs> don't watch I after that i still watch south park and i'm not sure why like some are really really good and some are really 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 bad but anyway i think um sorry go ahead yeah, well, pick and choose. If there's like a celebrity you like and they're in an episode that's in like season 25, maybe watch that one. Uh, but other than that, yeah, don't watch the whole thing. Except the and Michael pretty much Jackson every celebrity episode. Isn't it? Yeah, Except well, for Michael no, Jackson, they cut his that. episode. Yeah, that's true. But if he's your favorite celebrity at this point, season. you've got problems. Yeah. <laughs> like you shouldn't well, be and he wasn't that. officially in it. He was not credited. So. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because he uh, ended up being like the big dude, big bald dude. Yeah, and... Kind of like Child Predator, which is accurate. Yeah. Well, often celebrities play a different character, but they get credited. Um, He didn't, and I might be wrong about this classic Friendly Fire show, No Facts, but I (laughs) believe at the time, no one knew if it was him or not. It was like, this is pre-internet days, because it was a 90s episode, I'm pretty sure. So 
Yeah. Pre-internet, people just speculated, is that Michael Jackson? Because he wasn't credited and they didn't confirm it for a while afterwards. So, But now that we know it is, they've cut it entirely. And now they're trying to deny it and they pretend it doesn't exist, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. It, it was never him. <laughs> I might give... Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm watching The Mandalorian and I uh, don't know how much Disney Plus costs, so I don't know what more I can say about that. Um streaming services we've, we've talked about this before like we have stan now and i'm not sure why we have stan still because rupaul's just finished and that's like literally the only thing we watch on stan um i have amazon mostly for twitch and twitch prime but like star trek picard's coming out on that in january so i have a reason to watch amazon prime video again it's i i'm kind of getting sick of the the streaming services and it just seems like we're getting more and more and more and more um but yeah, I think we beat that dead horse to death already. We've covered that. Let's, Let's swing back around to games, shall we? All right. Well, uh, how about we talk about the thing I went to? Uh, XO. I can't say it though. XO19. XO19. Is that what you yeah, it's to like, say? It's like 2019, yeah, it's but the badly. X is a 2. The 2 is an X. XO. Well, people are saying XO or it's X019. XO. X019. Because it's yeah, but a year, but with an X. Anyway, Let's that thing, I went to the Microsoft um, end of year thing that they used to do uh, in London a couple or a while ago, and they uh, shuttered it for a while. They brought it back last year in Mexico City, and this is uh, its triumphant return back to the UK in London. It was held at the Copper Box Arena. Um, it was actually really, really cool, uh, and I got to spend like a day before. For the announcements, checking out some stuff and doing interviews. Um, so I talked to Phil technically before, well, like not technically. I talked to Phil like three hours before they did the live stream that evening in London, which was like something in the morning in Australia, right? It was pretty early. Yeah, it was like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., something like that. So by the time the next day in London rolled around, it was kind of like get some assets, write some stuff, and then fly home. So it was it was totally worth it. Um, some of the bigger things it, were that Microsoft announced a couple new pieces of IP. Um, the, the biggest one is the most uh, vague, I guess, announcement that they had. It's called Everwild. It's the newest game from Rare. Uh, and it looks kind of like Gods and Monsters, and we don't really know much about it. I don't know if you're across it at all, if you had any feelings on I it. I saw the... 20 second trailer all i can say is i hope it's a single player game um no offense sea of thieves but just go back to what ray used to do well uh yeah i really don't know what it is but hopefully it's quite different to sea of thieves yeah well and we don't really know much about it and i forget anything i wrote about it because i did that at like four in the morning when i was jet lagged in london uh the other big announcement that they had is a game called grounded which is by obsidian uh it's not a new obsidian game it was in development before microsoft acquired obsidian it's being worked on by a team of 13 who are working on it basically at the same time another obsidian team was doing the outer worlds and there's obviously another team at obsidian that's doing whatever is next for microsoft as the first official xbox game studio game um and grounded is i had a chance to play it at x X, whatever it's called in London. Uh, it's a combination of Minecraft and like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I guess. Uh, it's a co-op first person survival crafting game where you're like a really 
really short child um, running around through blades of grass, fighting ants and ladybugs and aphids, collecting materials and crafting items to kind of survive in this world. And like, it's decent enough, but it's definitely not for me. Like if you say a game is about crafting, I usually check out pretty quickly and it's that kind of sea of thieves mentality of like get together with people and just explore and have fun like yeah not for me but um it's certainly a game i don't know if you had a chance to check it out or have any thoughts on it i have not seen anything on it uh but you've really made me want to steer clear of it uh it doesn't sound like my type of game either but you've not sold it at all so i think i will avoid that is it multi-platform or is it sell it no it's just just xbox yeah, and uh, so like PC and, and Xbox, oh, yeah. it yeah. goes into yeah. uh, game preview in April or May or so in 2020, and it's a Game Pass title, the first yeah. Game Pass title that's in a preview program, like Early Access State, so news for that and that alone. So yeah, like it's 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 Microsoft's, they got it when they acquired Obsidian, but it was being developed before the acquisition. Yep. Um, the other kind of thing, it was called Project Speed in all the uh, pre-event stuff that we were getting under embargo. And we were thinking, you and I, that it was maybe Forza Motorsport 8. Uh, it's not. It's a game called, oh god, what's it called? Kart Racer Drift. Something like that. Schnups. I'm going to look up the name and make sure I'm saying the right thing. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Okay. Kart Racer Drift. It's a game that's been out in uh korea for about 15 years giant player base and like something that none of us have have heard of at all uh it's called kart rider drift it's basically mario kart um and that's it's actually quite fun um the drifting is the only thing that's very different if you're equating it to a mario kart the drifting is very aggressive and like it drifts your turn in the drift is is far sharper than you'd expect it to be because it looks and plays otherwise like a Mario Kart game. Um, Power-ups, shortcuts, just, you know, like the only difference is it's not licensed by Nintendo, so you're not playing as Princess Toadstool and stuff. It's just generic kart racing people. It was actually pretty fun. Um, I don't know if I desperately need a kart racer in my life, but uh, it's pretty fun and it's considering its appeal and its audience in um asia it's a a fairly big win for microsoft i don't know if it's going to do a lot but um playstation doesn't have it so that's something for microsoft i guess a smart game to have on game pass because it's the type of thing that it probably wouldn't sell that well um but if you just have it there people would play it they think oh what can we play that's multiplayer hey kart racer so is it on game pass I can't remember. Surely. It may or may not be on Game Pass. We'll have to check. There's a list of 50 titles that have been confirmed for Game Pass that you can go and look, and I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember, to be honest. It might just be a game coming to Xbox. Oh, Uh, I don't think it is, but I don't know. There was so much going on. It's a next. No, it's published by Nexon, so I don't know if it is. Okay, scratch that. This game will fail horribly. <laughs> Should be on Game uh, Pass. 
So some xCloud stuff we could talk about. Do you know much about it? And you can talk while I quickly look up if this Kart Racer Drift is uh, on Xbox Game Pass or no. How comfortable yeah, well, do you feel? It probably isn't. Uh, what are we talking about from xCloud? I know that it's not coming to Australia anytime soon. Uh, we've established that. Um, Very true. Otherwise, actually, yeah. Otherwise, I don't know that much about it. I've tried it. I think we talked about it last episode or the one before. Um, and we really wanted to see what the difference was between um, Project S Cloud and console streaming. Um, because, of course, if you have a console at home, you can just stream your own games. And that is what you and I are going to do because we already have all these games on our Xbox. It makes sense to us. So I was interested in their answer to, I believe you asked them, why would I use xCloud if I have console streaming? And what did they I say did. to that? Good vamp, Ben. Um, one, yeah. can confirm that Cart uh, Racer Drift is not a game that's been confirmed for Game Pass. So thank you for buying me some time to look that up. Uh, to answer your immediate question, uh, it's it's basically things that you can do and you might not ever use one or the other. So if we're talking about Australia and you and I, and uh, hypothetically Game Pass, not Game Pass, xCloud and console streaming are available in this country, which they are not, um, you with NBN would likely just use Project xCloud all the time because that's just reliant upon a decent internet connection you can connect to the games in game pass where most of them will be available to you regardless of whether or not you own them specifically or individually um game pass games are also part of xcloud now so like if you wanted to play something most likely you have access to it with xcloud you just need to have enough download on your device through whatever network you're on home or 5g to play it and you're good to go. Um, with the console streaming, the library differs a bit. It's just the games that you have access to play. So if you turn on your Xbox right now and looked at your library, those are the games you can stream. Um, plus like Game Pass and stuff, obviously, because you have licenses for those. Um, but the big difference is your home network will have to have enough upload bandwidth to project the game into the cloud essentially for then you to pick up and start playing wherever you mm. are. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Because that's the big that, difference. That's exactly <sighs> what I thought it was. So I think on it's my MBN, such a confusing, I that. <laughs> it's such a confusing piece of technology though. Like I, I had to ask that question to really fully understand it and have it explained to me in that level of detail. Like it's kind of obvious once you think about it, but I don't know who's thinking about it to that extent, if that makes sense. When they announced it, my first thought was console streaming is going to be free. It's going to be a, if you've got a game on a con on your console at home and you have the ability to upload that, you can stream it no cost. Uh, xCloud, everyone will have to pay for. So that is what I was thinking the main difference was going to be. But they haven't announced any pricing at all. So we really don't know as far as I'm aware. They were really, really cagey about any kind of business model talk. Like to the point where like we had we had a, like a group Australian interview and they just kind of like avoided the question entirely. Um, other things we learned, it's in trial right now in the US, the UK and Korea. The UK is using it the most. Uh, and I think that's probably just because Korea has probably faster internet, but less people using Xbox. Um, but the UK uses it the most. They use it in the evenings the most right now between 6 to 8 p.m. Um, 
Australia, they're just really not telling us when they want to launch it, but they did announce a whole bunch of new regions, including Canada, India, Japan. Uh, they will get the Project xCloud preview in 2020, and they'll extend the xCloud preview to other devices, including Windows 10 PCs and other devices in bracket or in air quotes. Uh, they didn't say what those were. Uh and as you'd probably expect, kind of a no-brainer question and answer, but um, I did get them to confirm that eventually in the course of the xCloud um, timeline, they will take out the uh, Xbox One S consoles in the server racks and eventually replace those with uh, Project Scarlet. So as you know, Xbox evolves, so too will Project xCloud you'll be able to stream you know, from then the then current gen systems, as opposed to, you know, like the current gen system that we're going from now. If that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Project xCloud is really cool. I had a chance to play it. I think you did it at E3 as well. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, we played it, but under very controlled conditions. So you didn't really know, but it, it worked fine from what I played. So I was playing on a 5G connection with Vodafone. I was playing on a Wi-Fi, like separate network to the, public one that they had in the theater um it played like i played for like two or three minutes at a time so i like you can't really tell but i played gears 5 and overcooked 2 on different network scenarios and it was really really good for like 98 percent of the time um on the wi-fi playing gears 5 near the end there was a little bit of input lag that was starting to kind of happen but I kind of equate it to, and you, you probably do this too. Have you ever, you've used the current home network streaming system on your Xbox probably once in a while or no? Very briefly. I've tried it, but I've never really used it regularly. I, I occasionally it, yeah. do. And like most of the time it works really, really well. And like if my network kind of just like lags out for a second, like you can notice some input lag. And it was kind of like that. Like for most of the time, it's really good. You'll be fine. And like occasionally it'll kind of just drop out of it. And like if you're playing and are like super dedicated in like a single player thing, that's probably just when you hit pause and then like flick up and down the pause menu and see when it kind of catches up and you're good to go again. Then you end on pause and keep playing. So like, I don't think it's a huge, you know, terrible thing. And really like if you're at home and you just want to play on your Xbox, play on your Xbox, like don't use project X cloud if you don't need to, but it's kind of like a cool little idea on top of the normal Xbox offering. And that's kind of what Phil Spencer was talking to me about. Like, it's not meant to replace anything. It's meant to, um, what's the word I want? Like, it's meant to add to it. Yeah, that's not what I wanted to say, but that's exactly Compliment. the right mentality. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. It's it's meant to be like this, you know, part of a general Xbox offering, um, which I'm quite keen about. And if you look at something like Stadia, which has been released now in a couple regions, it's it's tanking like it's just getting shat upon so and it's because that's that's it that's all you have and you know they promised 4k hardly any of the games are even streaming into 4k and then google's now said it's the developer's fault not google's fault it just seems kind of like a mess yeah well and there's hardly any games so good luck to and you, you have to buy them to then play them and you probably already own them on a different platform anyway yeah it's garbage um other stuff from x zero one nine uh age of empires 4 i had an interview with uh shannon loftus who came down to pax oz a couple years ago she's now head of world's ed studio which is the studio that's going to be looking after the age of empires 
uh, series. Not super keen on the Age of Empires games myself, but some cool tidbits if you are. Uh, it's set in the medieval times. It was briefly considered to be kind of like propelled into the future and into space. Um, but World's Edge has decided that it's like a historical game and meant to kind of tap into history. And obviously there's no history. Well, there's not a lot of history in space. Uh, the other thing is they haven't ruled out an Xbox uh, release on console. Uh, it's primarily a PC game, but with every other Xbox game, you know, being released at launch on PC and console with Game Pass, with Play Anywhere, um, it looks like they're, they're tr- starting to kind of think about how that's going to work. I don't think there's a release date, you know, even being considered for the game yet. So I would wager by the time it comes out, you will be able to at least play with keyboard and mouse on Xbox One, but that's a bit of speculation. Moving yeah. on, because you don't care, uh, <laughs> which is I fine. I don't care, but what I do care about is how is Play Anywhere going to work next generation? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I missed the entire, like, hashtag Tuesdays with Phil thing. Um, so we had about a 25-minute chat. It was supposed to be a 20-minute chat, and I got an extra five minutes because Phil and I are, like, besties. Um, we've published two things so far. The first is, as you were talking about, it was basically your question again. So thank you, Ben. Um, how does uh, Play Anywhere work? And since you, you've read it, you asked the question, you could probably describe it, and I can take a break from talking. Well, yeah, pretty much. What I wanted to know is at the moment, Play Anywhere is for most Xbox first-party games, you buy it on Xbox, you can play it on Xbox or Windows 10. Uh, When we moved from last generation, if you bought a game on Xbox 360, you had to buy it again on Xbox One and your save didn't carry over, your achievements didn't carry over. Um, If you played a game, I think there was a few, there's games like, I can't think of any first-party ones off the top of my head, but there was stuff like Black Flag, which came out yep. a month before on 360, you had to play the whole game and then you get it again on Xbox One and you have to start again. What a drainer that was. So it made sense to think there's going to be a big cross-gen period. What's going to happen next generation with Scarlet? Are we going to have to buy games again or is it going to be one game across Xbox One, Xbox Scarlet and PC? So uh, Phil didn't give you a definitive answer, but he said that's their aim pretty much is to have your entitlements carry over so you... Um, have the license to a game you can play it on any of those three platforms assuming it's released on all three and your saves and achievements will be one centralized point as well so uh, he's only talking first party of course but if third parties wanted to do that as well that would make things a lot more user-friendly moving to next generation compared to the last one where it was really anti-user it was kind of incentivized you not to buy a game late in the console life cycle yeah, oh, and the the criticisms that you put upon like the transition between 360 to one, I I didn't have to get into that with Phil. He brought that up himself. He's like, yeah, I didn't like how we did it. Like, you should be able to just get all your entitlements, all your achievements, everything that you bought on the last one to come across to the new one. And you can see that that's obviously what they've done with Play Anywhere and with all these systems since the Xbox One was released. And he didn't confirm it. He said that's their aim. But I would be very surprised if they don't follow through on that by the time yeah. we go from from one to Scarlet. So that's like super big news. And I'm really excited about that. People who aren't excited about it include people on the uh, True Achievements forums, as an example. People like me who really like their achievements. Where oh, One set of achievements now. Well, yeah. If there's an easy game on one and on Project Scarlet, you could play it twice and get 
2000 gamer score where now it looks like it's yeah. going to be especially with first party that it's you know like one save one continual process and we're talking about things like um like third party as a good example uh cd project red said that cyberpunk 2077 is going to come out in april on current gen it's going to eventually come out on ps5 and scarlet but likely after the launch of the consoles so we're talking you know like six seven eight months between releases of the game it'll be interesting to see if they decide to take this kind of user-friendly approach where if you have an xbox one save for cyberpunk it could flow into scarlet so you can just kind of pick up where you left off or if they're going to make you kind of start again from scratch um i think and there's pros and cons to each yeah i think that depends on do they call it definitive edition or not because that means buy it again start again um if they don't do that, then they could, yeah, let you carry over. And that would be much better, uh, aside from the true achievement trackers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll work the other way too, because we're thinking about moving up to next generation. But how many people are going to buy two new consoles at the start of life? Um, probably not many. But if you have two TVs, a lot of people do. You might have, you know, a main TV and a second one, just in case your kids, your partner, whatever is using one, you want to play Xbox. Uh you may be able to play Halo Infinite on Scarlet and then go and continue on Xbox One in another room. Like the back way will really work out well as if it works like that, I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah big time. I, I, it, if I get a new console, I'll probably have it upstairs in my office, in my uh, work area. And we might just have the Xbox One X downstairs for a bit. So, you know it'd be nice to transition between games between, like halo out. infinite's a good example <laughs> halo infinite is definitely going to come out at launch day on xbox one pc and scarlet and if you have any combination of those platforms in, anywhere at work at home at a friend's house like you will be able theoretically if this goes through to just transition between all three as if it was just you know like one device which is cool i, re- I really like that, that i can play with you losing a thousand gamer score so oh definitely and if you have friends if you have friends who are still on current gen but you're on next gen like theoretically you'll get cross play and cross um progression and stuff so you're not limited to you know like the early adopters who have scarlet and who had the like i don't know what do you think it's going to cost six to eight to a thousand dollars to spend on this console yeah 700 is my guess that's a lot of money um the other thing we talked about so far with phil and there's lots to come i'm just drip feeding it like a season pro um in 2016 in sydney i asked uh phil if vr was going to come to it was project scorpio at the time uh what we now know as xbox one x and he said at the time it felt like demos and experiments so he wasn't really keen on vr um speaking to him at uh, london this year he said i feel bad calling them demos and experiments like vr games are good they're they're their own little niche um but it's not what I want for Xbox, and it's not a focus. Um, he thinks VR games are very uh, isolating. You put on all this gear, you know, so you can be immersed in the VRness, but like you're cut off from the rest of the world. So it's not about kind of you know like gaming for everyone and gaming with everyone. Um, he also did bring up that you know like they're not selling hand over fist in terms of you know like VR headsets and stuff. So he doesn't like it as a, a kind of uh experience he doesn't think it's selling well it's not a focus for the future of xbox at least right now and i think 
I agree with him. Like, I don't want to play VR. I'm loathing the having to put on the headset and the headphones and grab the little like hand tracking devices and then sit down and hope that you're like lined up properly. And if not, you got to take off all the headsets and readjust. Like I just, I want to sit down and play a game and relax and just like have a controller in my hand be done. And VR to me is just like so much extra work for little return. Yep. Phil is on the money here. No one wants (laughs) VR. (laughs) Spot on. Uh, I think there's a, you know, people have fun moments with it. It's very much that motion control, eye toy connect type of thing that you play it a couple times a year. You show people who don't normally play games. I think, well, that's cool. And that's it. As you say, you can't be bothered getting home from work, sit down on the couch. Oh, I've got to put all this whole thing on to play VR for a game, which isn't any better, really. Like once you pass that initial, this is kind of cool moment. Um, it's the games aren't better. So yeah, I, I don't think... I don't want Xbox to go into that and they don't have to. So I'm, I'm glad they're not. Uh, good work, well, Phil. And agreed. also, as we just said, if you're going to buy a $700 console, the last thing you want is to have to buy a $600 headset. So yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. And I, I haven't verified the numbers, but um, I've seen people say that the current PSVR install base is 4 million, which seems like a big number. But then like you equate it to the amount of people that had Kinect. Um, and that was 10 million people that had Kinect. And Connect seemed like a fad. I'm not sure why we haven't equated VR to a fad as well. Like if VR was a Star Trek holodeck where it like you were actually immersed and you could still engage with the world without like a million peripherals on your face, I would be all for it. But it's not. It's it's like a it's a very niche kind of gimmicky thing like, you know, uh, 3D TVs like that came and went before you could even like blink really. So I'm not sure why VR is kind of still struggling along. Um, Same thing. Good, good well, segue into a uh, million of four million of a hundred million. So it's actually not that big, really. Well, Valve Anyhow. didn't get that memo because they've announced Half Life Alex. Uh, after what, like fifteen or so years? That's probably too many. After a giant gap between Half Life Two and the Half Life that we still don't have, Valve has uh, decided that Half Life Alex is going to be uh, basically a Valve Index uh device and you know selling points uh fully 3d or not fully 3d fully vr it probably is fully 3d if you're in vr um (laughs) shut up full full length game um and i think people would rather just have half-life 3 but i don't i could not care less i don't care whatever valve i agree it's sell this dodgy vr thing i don't care so like if you like half-life and you want to like strap yourself in good good more power to you but i don't know like vr to me always seems like a gimmick and like my favorite vr experiences have been uh star trek bridge crew the batman one by rocksteady um just like things where you get to like have this really short kind of like dream fulfillment of being the batman or being on the bridge of the enterprise like i don't want a 15 hour experience and i think a lot of people just get sick from vr as well like there's so many things that just make me want to not play vr to be honest and even having a new half-life game not that i'm like super sold on half-life as most people seem to be like it's that's not a selling point it's not a big enough selling point no i think a lot of people will see through that too so yeah if anything they probably wasted their moment at some point, they were going to announce a new Half-Life. Um, they've 
not called it three on purpose, but I think they've already lost the, if they ever do come back with three now, which they probably won't, uh, they've already, the moment's gone. They've wasted it on VR. Well, and they were saying in interviews that they, they find the prospect of Half-Life 3 too daunting. And that's like, why admit that? Like, we've hyped up this, this continue, like this franchise, this narrative that had an open ending that clearly needed resolution and we're too scared to resolve it. Um, this is decidedly a prequel set between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2, uh, but I think it was Polygon noted in the trailer there's a line in the trailer that is one of the last things spoken in Half-Life 2. So it could be a bit of a prequel and a bit of a continuation of the story, and that seems like a cop-out as well. Like, if you're going to you know, continue the story, continue the story. Or at least confirm that you're working on a proper sequel, maybe outside mm. of VR as well. But whatever. Well, it's VR only, so I'll never play it and I will never know. If I was making money hand over fist, so they don't care. Eh. <laughs> um, probably the coolest thing about um, X019 that I uh, had a chance to very slightly interact with um, was a new game from Don't Nod, who are the developers of Life is Strange and obviously Life is Strange 2, which is concluding on the 3rd of December, and I'm very excited about that. I think you're pretty keen on at least Life is Strange 2, Ben? I am, yes. I have not played Episode 4 yet. I've been meaning to go back to it. It's in my pile I need to get to, but yes, I will get there before Episode 5 drops very soon. Well, I reckon play it on the 2nd and the 3rd. Just get it all done in one big hit. It's I, I really like That's Don't Nod's games. They're, they're very mm. different from a Telltale game, even though it's that kind of same structure of like the episodic kind of choose-your-own-adventure-style game. I feel like there's a lot more um, interaction with a Don't Nod game as opposed to kind of just like choosing A or B in Telltale. Um, but anyway, Don't Nod introduced or announced their newest game. They're partnering with Microsoft, uh, or Xbox Game Studios, I should say, for a PC and Xbox One release of a three-part episodic game called Tell Me Why. Um, and kind of like the big talking point about it is that it has um, what they believe, and I think they're right. I haven't found any other game um, that contradicts it it's a game with the first major transgender protagonist that people will play as um so you play as identical twins um who were both born as females uh one is has transitioned into a transgender male um and it's working through their relationship their shared memories and assumedly kind of the journey um of one character to where he is now um, and if it wasn't Don't Nod, I would be kind of alarmed. The other big thing about this is that they have gone on record on consulting about the game from the get-go with GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, which is, uh, like a, an American-based LGBT group, and I should have probably researched a bit more. Um, but if, if GLAAD's behind something, you, you know that it's in good hands. So they have consulted don't Nod and Microsoft both with glad on creating a transgender character and um, trying to make it an authentic character. Um, and the play experience as authentic as can be. 
Um, and I'm not going to spill too many details, but I had a pretty lengthy chat with, with Phil about it. Um, and even his journey from the start of the experience to the end, you can, you can see him learning a lot and him kind of understanding a lot more than he did to start with. So I'd imagine a lot of people that don't nod and Microsoft had that same kind of experience, kind of like having an idea and then fulfilling it properly. Um, and Glad's gone on record. I don't have the quotes uh, straight like offhand, but like Glad's happy with where they've landed with this character. Um, I watched the trailer after reading about it, you know, like 10 hours before I watched the trailer for the first time at the actual inside Xbox where it was announced. And I had like just tears streaming down my face, like, which is stupid. And I'm kind of like tearing up thinking about it. Um, I'm super excited for another don't nod game in general. I'm super excited for the way that this seems like it's going to um, present itself, um, which may or may not be what you think, Ben, because you might be a little bit far, like a little bit more removed from it than I would be. But um, it seems like a really mm. cool project and I'm excited to play it. Well, I really like their game. So I like the, the <laughs> character development they have. Um, and yeah, I've liked the two so far. I do wonder when they make these though, is like, I know with Life is Strange 2, um, you know, they make it like a TV show. They release episode one and they're nowhere near finished episode two, let alone three, four, five. So that's probably the most intriguing thing. It sounds like this one's a lot further along before they've started releasing it. If, um, you know, Phil and people have gone through a fair bit of it. This one confirmed will have all three episodes drop at the same time. So the entire ah. game will be released at once. So thank you for reminding Netflix. me. There you go. Yeah. Three parts, but all at once. Yeah. Which is kind of like, why not just make it one game? But whatever. You do you. I guess it's because of how prob- you play their games. They, they make them story-wise as to be like two-hour snippets. So you're not meant to play it. Yeah. As a, It'll be like the television arc of like, uh, yeah. like arcs. That's it. Yeah. Like the arcs. That's not what. What's the thing in t- TV? How do they describe those? It's not arcs. Anyway, you know, know what I mean. Stories. They're they're very planned. They're very punchy, yes. and they'll have like a cliffhanger to take you into the next one. And maybe it's a good place to stop for the night, or maybe it's a good place to keep going. Um, seems really cool, and I'm very excited about it. Cool. Uh, that comes out in mid 2020, I think. Something like that. Last, because we're almost going to hit an hour, Ben. We never do that. Uh, The Game Awards nominations came out. Survivor is, of course, one of the 80 uh, worldwide outlets who get to uh, weigh in. Um, But, of course, viewers have the ability to vote on things as well. But um, we sort of talked about nominations before. They're officially released. We've already voted, but we can't obviously talk about our nominations specifically or our votes specifically. but some who is nominated non- for game of the year? Sorry, I assume you have this in front of you. Who's nominated for game of the I've year? Got, I've got the nominations. I was rambling, wasn't yeah. I? Uh, game of the oh, year: okay. Control, Death Stranding, mm. Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, Resident Evil Two, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, and The Outer Worlds. So, some pretty AAA games. I don't think oh AAA. It's re- realistic to expect an indie game to get voted for game of the year. To be honest, but um. No, and so the reason I would say it's it's not going to happen ever is because, as you said, there's 80 outlets who nominate and then vote. Um, and frankly, it's it's your the whole outlet's perspective, and not just one person we should mention. Um, yeah. And just the indie developers and publishers, well, you can't have a publisher for indie, so indie developers, um, they just don't have the time and the scope to go to all those 
outlets and make sure you have access to the game, whereas the AAA publishers have done that. And it's not that we're avoiding them, it's just that we don't have infinite time and infinite resources, so we have to only look at what we've played. Um, and yeah, that's a big part of it. And we can nominate between three to five, so trying yes. to get eight people to decide upon that many games, it's it's a crapshoot to begin with. Uh, other notable nominations, Best Action Game, Apex Legends, Astral Chain, Modern Warfare, Devil May Cry 5, Gears 5, and Metro Exodus uh there's too many to name go look at the website for for lists i think the biggest kind of takeaway is that i think nine nominations um were earned by death stranding which caused uh jeff Keeley, the host of the game awards to kind of go on record and say like i have nothing to do with nominations they were chosen by the outlets it wasn't me even though kojima was like my bestie and i happened to appear in death stranding which is pretty fair <laughs> and enough I'm in the game and also would you like monster energy drink oh hang on <laughs> Have you watched Rod with Norman Reedus? Um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens if Death Stranding takes away a whole bunch of the awards. Like, I don't know. It just seems like, it's, like they'll need yeah, to somehow like prove that it wasn't impacted in any way. Um, I'm sure it by isn't, some, but it's... I'm sure it's, it's not, but like, it's going to raise a lot of questions. Other awards don't have kind of like one guy who's the host and the facilitator organizing everything. Um and then also have that person be in something nominated. Like you don't have that one person do all those jobs or anything else to begin with. Um, but then, yeah, you, you don't have him as the star basically. Of something. And how often has he pulled Kojima into the game awards to have these like long, like introductions yeah. and pre presentations about death stranding. It's, it seems a bit strange, but like, whatever I'll, we'll see how it goes. We voted, we've done all we can do. Um, you as listeners, can go uh, to the website and click on the link uh, with the nominations there and vote on your favorites. Uh, I think the jury weigh in a little bit heavier than fan votes, but you're certainly able to vote and kind of at least feel like you've helped sway things. Uh, and we'll see how it goes on the 14th of December. We will. Yeah. Um, some we'll we'll hear more about Half Life Alex then. Uh, Raph Colantonio's new studio. He used to be at Arcane and did things like Dishonored, Dishonored Two, and Prey. His new studio is going to announce their first game. There's a bunch of stuff going to happen, so it'll be interesting to to see yeah, what goes it's on. The it's always the last big announcement of the year. So yes, Kojima is nearly always there, but they do normally announce a bunch of stuff. So. It's always the, you kind of think it's awards, but they normally have a few trailers and a few new things to show. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's stuff that's worth watching, even if you don't care who wins, because there's interesting stuff for what's to come. Yeah. Let's be done. We're almost at an hour and that's, that's so unlike us. Uh, where that's do we find this? this exactly. Where do we find the stuff that you do on the internets, Ben? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Salter. That's where I am at the moment. And yourself? Bam. Uh, S right AU, but uh, you hear a lot about Stevivor, Stevivor, Stevie uh because we'll keep putting out the Phil stuff and it's getting picked up by everybody because apparently we know the good questions to ask the uh, gaming elite. So Phil just likes you, so he's giving you the good stuff. Kabam. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with me, Ben. It was Always fun. We do it more often. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. another one before the end of the year. Maybe not. We'll see how we go. Maybe. It's a, it's a wild lottery being subscribed to this podcast. Just anything can happen. 
It's just like it's a it's a surprise. You should be happy that you okay. get a new episode. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Goodbye.